Welcome to New Life. Glad you guys are here with us. If you would, just go ahead and find a seat. That would be amazing. Amazing. Well, hello. My name is Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff here. It's a joy to have you worshiping with us here at New Life today. If this is your first week uh, with us, man, you've already gone through all the difficult parts of a worship service. So congratulations, you made it, right? The rest of it from here on out is just sit back and relax. I mean, every other church you came in, that was the first moment that was kind of dangerous. You didn't know what to expect when you walked through the doors, right? Um, You know, you maybe never been in here before. And then you sat down and you were like, I'm sure that these people are going to take an offering. Well, we already did that. So that's the second difficult thing to have to deal with. And then we're a church that actually gets up and shakes each other's hands, which if this is your first time with with us, might have been really awkward. And you made it past that. So sit back and relax. All right. From here on out, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. Hey, so we've got people that are worshiping with us in multiple different venues right now. We are one church in multiple locations, so I just want to take a quick moment uh, live just to say hello to all those that are worshiping with us in our North Platte uh, campus out there. God's doing great things. Um, It's amazing, Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that even today. So, and I also want to say hello to all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue, in our gym. Uh, We're we're just uh, continuing to grow and reach more people, and it's a blast. It's a lot of fun, and God's doing some great stuff. You should be proud of your church called New Life. Now, to tell you a little bit about uh, New Life, uh, last week there was a great thing that happened that I thought, man, let's just pause for a moment and let's celebrate this together. Uh, A woman, her name is Dawn, she was driving from North Platte, heading to Springfield, Missouri. She actually attends our North Platte campus. When she gets to the Kearney exit, her car begins to break down. Her alternator goes bad and her car starts losing power. She gets to the East Kearney exit, which is just past the, um, the archway pulls off, limps her car all the way to the parking lot of the archway, and it's freezing cold last Sunday, okay? And how do I know that? I know that because many of you were not here, and there was bad, the snow was bad, right? The snow, I'm just glad you survived, seriously. The snow was bad, it was frigid cold outside, and her car breaks down. She sees someone shoveling snow at the archway, and thankfully she goes up to the individual, and he lets her go into the building so she can stay warm. Now, she thinks to herself, what in the world am I going to do? So she calls her husband, um, who his name is Robin Store. He is the chaplain out in uh, North Platte for the hospital. And by the way, one of, probably the best chaplain I've ever met before. Very compassionate, outgoing, fun guy to be around. And uh, Robin, if you're out there, I'm just saying hello to you giving, you, giving you some big thumbs up. I love you, and I think you're a great guy. Um, glad to have you as part of New Life. So Robin says, man, i got to take care of my wife. i got to love her. i got to figure out something. He calls somebody that he knows here at New Life in Kearney. <clears throat> calls Ron Cohn. Now, Ron Cohn is serving as one of our producers. So Ron's busy with all kinds of tech needs. But Ron decides, man, i got to take care of this. So him and a couple of the guys start going, well, what, what's going to be the game plan? And right as they start saying, what's going to be the game plan? Let's find somebody. Then another guy by the name of Chuck Christ, which Chuck is sitting here in our main auditorium. And I love that guy too. He's an amazing guy. Chuck says, yeah, absolutely. I'm your man. I'll help you. Right? And then Chuck does what every good wise guy should do. Who's going to go with me? So... Here's, the, here's, the, here's another fun part about your church, the church called New Life. Chuck turns around and invites a guy who last week was his very first week. His name is Eric. Eric showed up to Chuck and Wendy's life group that they were doing at the 9 o'clock hour. And then in the lobby, in between the services, 
once Chuck is invited to do this, he turns and he sees Eric. Now, here's the beauty of Eric. Eric, that's his first week. He's not even been in any of our worship services. He's just been in a life group. But Eric happens to be a mechanic of all things. So Eric and Chuck hop in their vehicle. They drive down to the archway. They help Dawn out. Three hours later, she's back on the interstate, heading down on her journey to Springfield, Missouri. And what I want to say to you is you just watched an amazing church at work, blessing working to uh, honor one another, one church in multiple locations with amazing people, with amazing gifts, amazing compassion, and a willingness in frigid cold weather to go out and love one another. I think your church deserves an amazing applause. It's awesome. It's awesome. Now, what if you would have been Dawn in the car, your car breaks down on the way to Springfield, Missouri? Right? Have you ever had your car break down? It's one of those moments, right? Where you just want to get out and you want to kick the tires in a loving way, right? Yeah. You get out and you want to kick the tires. It's so cold and here she is all alone. She doesn't know what to do. Some people would have just wanted to give up. Some people would just say, it's impossible. It's ridiculous. Just get a tow truck out here. Get this car out of this place. I'm just going to hop in some vehicle. I'm, I'm going back home. You just want to sometimes give up. But because of this amazing church that Dawn's a part of and the kingdom of God that's a compassionate, loving, generous, giving group of people that call themselves Christ followers, Dawn experienced that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what we want to talk about today. I mean, in this world that we live in, we experience a lot of things and we know a lot of things that once people used to think was impossible to know and or do. Like, go to the moon. That was ludicrous back in the day. Right? It may have been kind of crazy even when it was mentioned. But now that, we, now that we've done it so, so many decades ago, it's just kind of like it's old history now. But it's, it's, it just blows your mind away. To think about, you know, when someone, when someone was put, oh, my word, what happened to my jacket here? Seriously? Okay, there it is. Okay. Someone. I, seriously, I couldn't get into my jacket bucket. Um, I thought, did it get sewn shut between the services? Okay. To think about the power that's in this cell phone. Right? Inside of this cell phone is so much power. And to think that one day someone thought to themselves, you know what I think we should do? Build something like that. That to me is fantastic. It just blows my mind away. Or to think about the usefulness of the internet. When so long ago, when it first started, we kind of looked at it and went, what are we going to do with this? And now you can hardly live without it. So many things that once used to be impossible are becoming possible, and it's even happening. It seems like it's happening almost every single day. So what I want you to do with me is, I want you to consider with me. Consider with me what's possible or what might be impossible with God. Is there anything that's impossible with God? And if there isn't, then what is possible with God? Well, obviously, some amazing things are possible with God. When man closes doors and man says, no, you can't do this. No, you can't go this place. No, you can't build that. No, you can never become this. If God says that you're going to become that, if God says you're going to build it, if God says you're going there, guess what? No matter how hard man tries to close doors, God blasts them right open. God can take nothing and make it into something powerful. Make it into something that transforms your life. God has the supreme authority to speak. And with the words that come out of his mouth, the universe must obey. So if, if God commands something to happen, what you and me need to know today is there's nothing on this earth powerful enough to stop 
what God commands to happen. So that tells us that all things are possible with God, that nothing is impossible with him. And today, I want to tackle that concept of nothing being impossible for God. And so we're in this current teaching series called Essentials, which, which by the way, I, I hope that some of you still have perfect attendance in 2015. All right, that would be, that could be pretty fun. If, if you were here, you know, the past couple of weeks, you got perfect attendance, so congratulations. High five yourself. All right, good. Don't really do that. That's just not right. That was more something to be done from the platform. I mean, I mean, yeah, don't high five yourself. It's kind of weird. Like, high five myself, low five, whoops, missed. All right, that would be weird, right? You're causing yourself to miss. But in our current teaching series, Essentials, we're preaching and then you guys are reading. And so one of the things you're going to read this week is going to be Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham wrestles, struggles with God over something that God says to him that Abraham considers to be impossible. And so I want to take us to that passage and kind of look at this concept of nothing's impossible with God using Genesis chapter 15. To do that, though, I think I really need to kind of brief you on what happened in the two chapters before it, 13 and 14. So let me just maybe give it to you more in a story. Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and his nephew Lot are leaving Egypt. They had gone to Egypt with some of their, uh, their herd, some of their uh, riches that they had at the time. They had gone there because of a drought that was happening in their land. So they go down to Egypt to find some refuge, and that's what they find there. They find refuge. And there they actually grow filthy rich in Egypt. I mean, their, their, uh, their herd grows. They grow in silver, and they grow in gold. And it becomes time to leave and go back to where they had come from, which was near. At that moment, they were coming from what was modern-day Jerusalem. They were fairly close to Jerusalem. Um, and they were, they were, so they're going back to that place to live. And so here they go. Off they go. they got all of their workers. They've got these large herds with them. Um, it's a big entourage of people with a lot of animals. They get to where they want to be, and their herdsmen, their shepherds, are fighting amongst each other because there's not enough grass for their, their uh, animals to graze on. So Abraham and Lot, as family members, they get together and they decide what we're going to do is we're going to split ways, all right? We love each other, we're for each other, and we don't want to have any conflict. Let's go two different ways. There's plenty of land here. Abraham, being the older um, and, and the elder, could have easily said, this is where I'm going, Lot, so you figure out a different place to go. But that's not the heart of the man Abraham. Abraham says to Lot, you get a chance to choose. You choose first, Right? So it's kind of cool. He gives the, gives the youthful one the opportunity to make the decision. And Lot, it says that he looks around, he looks all over, he looks to the north, south, east, and west, and he sees that towards the east is maybe something that really entices him, that the ground looks amazing, the terrain looks awesome, and uh, he just goes, that's where, that's where I want to be. And so, unfortunately, one of the things that Lot overlooked or he didn't take into proper consideration was to the east and where he was going, where he was going to camp, was just outside of a, of a little town, quaint little place. You know, a place that you might want to go get like a, you know, um, a hotel and stay for a couple of days or whatever. He decides that he's going to go camp outside of a town called Sodom. Now, if you don't know, uh, if that name doesn't ring a bell for you, then perfect because essentials. You're reading through the top 100 stories of the Bible. You're going you're gonna to understand a little bit better about Sodom. There's these two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And in uh, Genesis 13, 14, it talks to us about how Sodom at that time was a very wicked place. It is so wicked that those towns, they don't even exist anymore. They were literally destroyed. That's the place that Lot decides he's going to go and he's going to camp outside of. And eventually, he actually moves into that town, maybe to gain greater wealth. I don't know. Abraham goes the opposite direction. And when he goes to the west, he gets to this place where he decides, this is where I'm going to call home. And God gives him a vision. God says to him, Abraham, look as far as you can to the north, south, east, and west. All of this land is yours. It's yours. I'm blessing you with it. Abraham is overwhelmed with this blessing from God. And he is so thankful at that moment that he really just kind of embraces it and he receives it. Now the Bible says then at the beginning of Genesis chapter 14, now that these guys are established where they need to be, that during this time... Uh, For the past 12 years, where Sodom is and where other communities are that Lot is living nearby, those guys had been been conquered by a foreign king. And that foreign king who conquered them was lording over them. And he was demanding for them to pay their taxes to him. He was demanding for them to obey him. He He was demanding for them to follow his law and his rule. And for the last 12 years, Sodom and some others had been doing that. But it says that in the year 13 that they rebelled against this king. And that in year 14, this king, he aligned himself with three others. And he comes charging down into Sodom and other other communities, raping, pillaging, and looting. Taking their women, taking their children, taking all of their valuables. And when he went through Sodom, he was so forceful and so strong that it says that the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah took off and ran for the hills and left their town, leaving Lot and all the valuables to these four kings. These four kings, they take everything and they take Lot and they start heading north. Somewhere along the way, Lot must have got word to one messenger and one man heads off to find Abraham to tell him what in the world has happened. Now, when Abraham gets the message about all of the destruction and the pillaging that had taken place, Abraham was prepared for moments just like this. Because the Bible says that he got 318 of his trained warriors, and he heads out after uh, these armies and these kings so that he can get Lot, his nephew, back. Abraham, he chases them, and the distance that it talks about that he chases them is somewhere around 165 miles before he catches up with them. That would be like hopping in your car at Kearney, heading off towards Lincoln, but then you're going to have to go somewhere between Lincoln and Omaha. He chases them that long. He tracks them down. He finds them. He waits till night, and then he attacks, and he drives the enemy away. He conquers back all of the people that they had you know, stolen, and they were going to sell into slavery. He gets all the people back. He gets, he gets Lot back. He gets all of the valuables back, and he starts heading south to return it. On his way heading south, he has to pass right by what would be modern-day Jerusalem. And as he does that, the king of Jerusalem, which was also the priest of God's people, he comes out to meet Abraham. He had heard about this. He knew what was going on. He comes out to bless him. Comes out and he blesses him in in a very practical but loving way. And for the very first time in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 14, you see something phenomenal take place. Abraham tithes. It says that Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had, and he gave it to the priest. So I want to let you know right now, tithing is nothing new. 
Tithing started all the way back then. That's the first known moment of tithing was in Genesis chapter 14 of a man honoring God for the victory that he had given him and all of the spoils of that victory that he had won at that moment. Abraham continues south and he runs into the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom is completely overwhelmed with joy. He's thankful. He says to Abraham, thank you for rescuing um, my people. Here's the deal, Abraham. Just give me back all the people. You can hang on to all the wealth. It's all yours. Now you got, think about it. All right, I mean, this is a lot. This is like whole communities worth of wealth. We're not talking minor stuff here. We're not talking a couple of hundred dollars. We're probably talking millions and millions and millions of dollars worth in that, in that kind of an economy. If you brought that to this day, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of goods. Abraham says to him very wisely, because I'm not going to take anything from you because I don't ever want anyone and or you to be able to say, you're the one who made me rich. From the depth of Abraham's heart, he's saying these things. Why? Because he's, he knows the king of Sodom, a wicked man, a vile man, a man that rules over a community and a region that is wicked. You know, and the Bible even talks about it. God sees it. Abraham notices it. Abraham wants nothing to do with it. And he says, you're not going to be the guy that people are going to say that you made me rich. I'm going to wait for God. Now, that leads us right up to Genesis chapter 15, where all of a sudden, in that state, moments after this all happens, Abraham gets back to where he lives, and God comes to Abraham and says these words. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Awesome. Yeah, I'll protect you. Why is it that God has to come in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after all of this massive victory that he has, why is it that God comes to him and initiates the conversation and says, I'm going to protect you, and basically I'm going to be your great reward? Why is it that he has to do that if Abraham isn't sitting around in his house possibly thinking to himself, man, those four kings just came, those guys did some serious damage. I wonder if they're going to go back and come down with six or eight kings with many more warriors, and just come and wipe me out for what I did. And then God says, I'm going to protect you. And then you got to wonder to yourself, does Abraham maybe wondering, going, oh man, maybe I should have taken all that loot. <laughs> I should have, taught, should have taught that king of that wicked place a lesson. You know, and taking all of their loot, taking all of their valuables. I, I mean, you know how many more zeros I could have had on my bank account right now? And God says to him, you know, your reward, Abram, Abraham, it's going to be great. So if, if God said that he would protect you, and if God said that his reward was going to be great for you, what do you think your response would be at a moment like that? I mean, God speaks, you hear him, you know it's God, there's no doubt in your mind, and God says, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to be your great reward. Don't worry about anything, Abraham. You know how me and you would probably respond? I hope it would be something like this. Wow, thank you, God. That's amazing. Thank you that you're my protector. Thank you that you're the one that rewards. Your reward's got to be greater than anything on this earth. Your protection has to be greater than any army on this earth, right? Or maybe you would say, God, you're so faithful. Wow, thank you for your faithfulness. Or God, yes, you are all powerful and what you say, it comes true. So God, go for it. Maybe those would be the kinds of things that you might say at a moment like that. But that's not what Abraham says. Abraham says something completely off the wall in some ways. Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, 
What good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? You have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants is going to have to be my heir. (laughs) God promises something to Abraham that is evidently so simple but yet so profound to him that he can't even see the possibility in it. I'm assuming that as I read this, I look at from Abraham's perspective that he's going, are are you serious? I'm the one who's got the fighting men that were already prepared that went up and and took over those four kings. I know how to protect myself. I'm the one who had all of this wealth in my hands and I gave it away. I I know where reward comes from. He goes, I don't even have anyone to even pass this on to. There's no purpose for all of this. Even if they come and they strike me dead, it's fine because I don't even have a kid to pass it on to. I I don't even have a purpose. It's it's like I don't even have a purpose to live out your blessing because I have no one to give it to in the end. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in moments where you're struggling, just like Abraham is. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in those moments when you're struggling between what your soul senses and what your spirit knows to be true. When you are in moments when Life and what it presents to you seems impossible. Where it seems like the, all the cards, the deck is stacked against you and you're looking at it and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to get over this? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to conquer this? How am I going to get beyond this health issue? How, how am I going to get beyond this financial issue? How, how are we ever really going to get beyond these marital problems? Is this relationship with my son or my daughter really ever going to be healthy? And the list goes on and on. Am I really ever going to get over this sickness inside of me called sin that's conquering me and ruling me? Am I really ever going to have the kind of faith to do anything great for God? And when you face things like that, not only do you need to know that all things are possible with God, but I think there's some lessons that we can learn from Abraham that can help us respond to God correctly. Because if you just read this passage and you thought to yourself that Abraham was responding with just a lack of faith or that Abraham was doubting God, then you would have the whole passage actually wrong. In this passage, we find a couple of key things that we need to know about when we're facing the impossible and we're trying to put our trust in God. First off is this, never forget that God's all-powerful. What are the first words that Abraham says? Oh. He says what? Oh what? Sovereign Lord. He doesn't come cursing him. He comes with worship on his lips. He comes honoring him. He comes profoundly proclaiming that you are God. You are on the throne. You are all powerful All things were created by you. Everything is designed by you. You are actually in complete control. Because he goes on to not devalue God. Oh, he he challenges him. He goes, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? But then look what happens in verse 3. You have given me no descendants. What you need to know about the heart of Abraham at this very moment was, it's not that he doubted. God. It's that he knew, God, you were supreme authority, and it was you who chose not to give me a descendant. It's not that you couldn't, it's that you didn't. And now Abraham is in this situation where he's like, 
You're saying that you're going to protect me and that you love me like you say you do. And you're saying that you're going to reward me like you say you're going to reward me. But you haven't even done the things that you need to do to even make it worth my wild. That's where he's at. That's where he's wrestling with this unbelief. That's where he's wrestling with the struggle, if you can, um, with this, God, is it really possible that you would protect me? Is it really possible that you would bless me in that kind of a way? And then why would you do that if I don't even have anyone to pass it on to? But notice something. Notice something about Abraham with this whole conversation that's happening. Abraham has a, what I'm going to refer to as a dialogue relationship with God. Abraham isn't a man that just comes to God begging him to heal things that he screwed up. Abraham is a man who has a communication, a dialogue with God. Enough that he can say the kinds of things that he did to him. Enough that he can say, well, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing because you didn't even give me a son. What's going on here? That dialogue kind of relationship with God. Let me tell you something today. God longs to have a dialogue relationship with you. God doesn't want to just be the one who is your supreme authority. Oh, sovereign God, take care of my problems. Oh, sovereign God, heal this. He wants to be, oh, sovereign God. I'm wrestling with figuring out these steps that you want me to take. I'm wrestling with trying to understand this next step that you want me to do. I'm wrestling with trying to put together these pieces that you're stirring inside of my heart. I don't understand them. I'm not even sure how they're going to happen. And then allowing God to speak back to your heart. God's looking for dialogue. That's what God longs for. And Abraham in the Old Testament, many times in the Old Testament, man had to wait for God to come to him. In the New Testament, you and me are full of God's spirit. That means you can dialogue with God at any moment, whenever you want to, as long as you want to, for as, you know, whatever topic you want to talk about. Dialogue with God. We call it prayer. But you, what you see in Abraham is a dialogue with God. That leads us to our first essential truth of today. The first one is this, that the more you dialogue with God, the more his promises seem possible. The more you commune with him, the more you talk with him, the impossible will become possible. And during this dialogue, God continues to say things to Abraham. So look what happens in verse 4. It says, no, Abraham, you're wrong. That's what God says to him. You're, listen, you're wrong, completely wrong. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son and, and your own, uh, of your own who will be your heir. Abraham, I'm telling you, I've already got it figured out. When I told you that I would protect you and I told you that I would reward you, I knew you needed descendants. I've already got it figured out. Trust me, I'm the God who works the impossible and I make it possible. I've got this thing. And then he leads him outside and he tells him to stare up into the stars of the, of the night. And he says to him, as vast as they are, which you can't even count them, Abraham, that's going to be the amount of your descendants. And he just blows him out of the water all the way to the point where Abraham's faith, it grows through this dialogue with God. Abraham's faith increases through his communication with God to the point where he says this to God in verse 6. And Abraham says what? He, be he believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Hmm. It's okay in your dialogue with God to ask the difficult questions. It's okay 
in your dialogue with God to say, I don't understand. I, I can't truly figure this whole thing out. That word, though, that Abraham, that it says about Abraham, that Abraham did what? He believed the Lord. Let's stop there for a moment because you're going to need to get this into your heart if you're going to face the impossible and believe God to conquer them. you got to believe in your heart. This word, this word believe, um, it is a word that's used to illustrate a solid foundation. Like when you believe in something, it becomes solid. It becomes so solid that you can build things on top of it. That's what the original word means. If you go, if you go and you look up the original interpretation of that word in that passage, it would literally mean to take a block of truth and to lay it down into a foundation and to build a house on top of it. It would be that firm. That's why you see these blocks behind me. All throughout this teaching series, these blocks are going to grow. This wall is going to grow because each block represents a truth that God's trying to deposit into your life. And your response and my response is going to be, do you believe? Notice when Abraham says that he believed, it didn't say that he believed in the promise. It says that he believed in God. So even Abraham still wrestling with the promise. How do we know that? Because then the chapters to follow it, Abraham gets ahead of God and he tries to make something happen. You're gonna have to read it for yourself. Abraham goes out and tries to make the promise happen on himself, in his own, his own terms, in his own ways. Abraham still wrestles with the promise, but he never wrestles with the fact that God is sovereign and that he puts his complete faith in God and says, God, yes, all things are possible with you. Belief. Belief. It's essential. It's a building block of your faith. And it leads us to clarify really the essential truth number two, which is this. The more you believe God for the impossible, the stronger your faith will grow. The more you put yourself in the place where you believe God for the impossible, the stronger your faith is going to grow. The, the bigger your foundation is going to be. The more you can build on top of it. And that's what God did in Abraham's life. And those are the kind of things we can learn from him. God leads him, though, to this point where he wants to establish this covenant between Abraham and, and God. Basically, a covenant would be an agreement. It would be a truth that says, this is what's going to happen, and we're both going to follow through on it. And so... God gives Abraham these instructions, which sound odd to us today. I got that, because we don't do these kinds of things, thankfully. But he tells him, go get a heifer, go get a ram, and go get a goat. Abraham knew, knows exactly what God's asking him to do, and Abraham starts preparing for the covenant. Which means that Abraham has to slaughter these animals, and then, I know it's a bit gory, but he has to cut the animals in half, and then lay them down on the ground with enough room to walk between them. Why? Because that was the custom of establishing a covenant. When you established a covenant between two people, you, you cut those animals, you laid them down on the ground, you made the agreement, basically you shook on the agreement, and then you walked between the two animals, symbolizing and establishing the fact that if either one of you break the covenant, then death and destruction may come upon you like it did on those animals. That was, that was the custom of the time. All right? Two people make an agreement. They both walk through the animals. May death and destruction come upon us if we don't keep our end of the bargain. Now, God asked Abraham, get this all set up, and then watch what happens in verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch 
do what? Pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now, if you didn't know what I just told you a second ago, this would be one of those classic passages of the Bible where you would just get to it, you would read that scripture, you would get to the end of it and go, that was weird. Right? You just look at it and go, I have no idea what that means. I'm just going to keep on trucking. Next chapter. Right? If you have those kind of verses that you've read before, and then you really hope and pray down deep on the inside that your pastor never comes to you and goes, hey, have you ever thought about uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 17? And you're like, no, I've never, and I don't ever really want to go there again. It's weird. But once you know that that's the way covenant is established, then you need to look at it and see something extremely profound. Here's the profound part. Does Abraham walk through those animals? I know, I only gave you one verse. You're like, is it a trick question? Because maybe he does in verse 18. No, Abraham never walks between the animals. So here's the deal. The covenant is made from God to Abraham. The promise is made from God to Abraham. God alone says, I'm the one making the promise. I'm the one that's going to be held accountable. I'm the one who's going to follow through. And Abraham, there's nothing you can do about it. What I'm asking of you is complete, obedient faith. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Just believe in me, Abraham, because I'm the one who's going to fulfill this covenant. That's what God loved about Abraham. That's why he said, you believe in me. I consider you righteous. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to walk through those animals in that fire pot represented God's presence going through that. So essential truth number three is this, that God takes responsibility to do the impossible. It's God's responsibility to do the impossible. It's our responsibility to believe. That's what God's called us to. Just simply believe in him. I know it might be hard to wrap your faith around the promise, but never lose hope or faith in in the sovereignty of God. He is on the throne. He's still God. All things are possible with him. If he speaks in the universe, you know, snaps to attention, he can definitely speak to your life, and things in your life snap to attention. That's why he sent Jesus. God makes this covenant with Abraham, but God's made a covenant with you. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus became the sacrifice that hangs on the cross of which blood is shed. Jesus. Jesus becomes the one who becomes the the covenant maker between us and between God. Jesus is the one who does what man thinks is impossible. Jesus bridges the gap so that we might have relationship with God. At one point in the ministry of Jesus, he's asked, How is salvation going to happen? How is this relationship between us and God even possible? And look what what he says in Matthew chapter 19. He goes, humanly speaking, it's what? Impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Salvation with God is not something you can obtain. Relationship with God is not something you can just do on your own. There's not enough good works you can do. There's not enough prayers you can make. There's not enough scripture you can memorize that's going to make God happy other than the fact surrendering your life to Jesus because Jesus became the covenant between us and God. Jesus became the one who wipes away sin, who takes away the guilt and the shame, who wipes away the penalty of sin. I know that some of you are here today and you're wrestling with the understanding of going, is that even possible for me though, Jeff? 
I mean, my life is so screwed up. It's so messed up. I've tried following God 10 times in my past, and I've never been able to keep it, keep it true. God's given up on me, hasn't he? God's grace has ran out from me, isn't it? Nothing is impossible with God, including the depth of his grace. You'll, you can never reach the bottom of his grace. You can never run so far that you're outside of the grips of his grace. You've not gotten too far. It's possible to turn your heart. It's possible, yes, it's possible that you can see miracles take place in your life. Yes, it's possible that you can see God heal areas of your life. Yes, it's possible that God can heal relationships. Yes, it's possible that God can do anything. All things are possible through God. But it requires our faith. It requires us to believe. Proverbs chapter 3 Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord today. Take that scenario or that situation or in the future when a difficult moment strikes and it seems impossible a barrier you can't get around whether it's in your heart or you're facing it in this world trust in the lord with all of your heart try to drift away from your own understanding because when you look at things you're going to see them and you're going to go that's impossible submit yourself to god and god will direct your steps he'll take the impossible and he can make it possible so take a Take an action today out of Abraham's playbook, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on. Take an action from him and just put your firm belief in the fact that nothing's impossible with God. Trust him today. You might want to respond to God today by, as the worship teams lead us in our different venues by coming down to the altar and kneeling down where the hungry come and just going, God, I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to offer my life as the sacrifice. Just laying it down, going, God, I know I'm having a hard time believe. Help me in my unbelief. I'm having a hard time trusting that you can, you can conquer this relationship or this financial thing or, you know, this entity or that entity or this struggle in my heart or whatever the, the thing is for you. I'm having a hard time with it. God, help me in my unbelief to believe you. I know, God, that you are sovereign. I know that you're on the throne. I know that you can do anything. But help me, help, help me believe that that's possible in my life. Maybe you just want to do that through your worship of him today. As you stand in a moment to worship, maybe you just want to just passionately worship him. And I know, that you're, I know you're wrestling with things. I know you're struggling with stuff. But just look beyond that for a moment and see God's still on the throne. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. Why don't you stand with me and let's come to God today. Let's pray. Father, today... We're reminded of the fact that when you give a promise, you follow through on it. We're, we're reminded today that covenants that you make with man, you keep. You keep for generations and generations. Even when the heart of man turns extremely wicked and we run away from you, you're still faithful to follow through with your promise. Thank you for the covenant that you made with Abraham. Lord, I, I especially want to thank you. I want to thank you for the promise that you gave us through Christ. Through Jesus, I might be set free. I might, I might be a man who walks free of the guilt and the shame of my sin. I don't deserve it. There was nothing I could do to gain it. But you gave it freely. You lit a fire 
He lit a fire through Christ that now burns in my heart. And I thank you for that. I thank you that your presence lives in me and that I might be able to have dialogue with you. I might be able to talk with you on a regular basis. Lord, for this church, for the amazing people that attend a New Life venue, God, may you meet them right where they're at today. Would your presence and your power come and meet them right where they are? Would you remind so many of them that are going through moments that seem impossible, would you set their eyes upon you, that they would be reminded that, God, with you all things are possible. Help us in our unbelief to believe. Help us to believe that you're not just on a throne someplace called heaven, but you sit on the throne of my heart, and you really are a gracious God who's leading and guiding my every step as I put my faith and my trust in you. Lead us today. In Jesus' name, amen.